Luke chapter 4 is where we find ourselves. Of course, we've been studying through the book of Luke. Luke is written by a fellow named Luke, who was a physician, and he tells us lots of things that we probably would not know. Over 60% of the book of Luke is unique to what he observed and learned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, put it into print, and now we have God's Word in the book of Luke. It's about Jesus. Jesus, the God-man. That is his focus. We find that in Matthew, Matthew speaks about Jesus, the King. And in Mark, he's the servant. In John, he's God. And in Luke, he's the Son of Man, who is 100% God and 100% man. How thankful I am for the book of Luke. We see that Jesus now is 30 years old. He has come out of the carpenter shop, met John the Baptist in the River Jordan. He has been proclaimed as the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. He submits to baptism for the reason he got baptized, is, there, is so you would get baptized. As an example to us, if Jesus set an example, you and I should do the same. If you're saved, the next thing God wants you to do is get baptized and not prolong it. It's God's way. And to get baptized in water, you know, it's very clear. Jesus went down into the River Jordan. He wasn't an infant. There wasn't one single infant ever baptized in the Bible. He walked down to the River Jordan, not so they could sprinkle him on top of the head, but so he could go under the water and come back up. And he did it because, as an example for us, and also so that we would know that the Father wants it done. It's the number one thing that God wants someone to do after they get saved is to get baptized. And it's not for me, not for you, it's for him. He wants it done. And so he said it's to fulfill all righteousness. The father wants it done. And after he got baptized, he got the affirmation from his father. This is my son, and I'm well pleased. He did what I asked him to do. And if you are saved, that's the thing you ought to do after you're saved. We have some folks getting baptized today, and I'm happy for that. I think it's wonderful. I talked to a man who got saved last week. He's getting baptized next week, and that's wonderful. I think everybody who's saved ought to get baptized. Well, it also didn't just, uh, didn't, Jesus just didn't get baptized. It started his earthly ministry. It changed his life. He now is going to walk in newness of life. He didn't come to the earth to build tables and chairs and frame houses and hang cabinets. He didn't come to the earth to work with wood. He came to the earth to pay for my sin and yours as well. That's why he came to the earth. But after his baptism, he went about to do what God called him to do. And that was to give his life a ransom for our sin, to die so we could live. And he made his way, and we find that after he, he got baptized, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted of Satan. And then uh, he went back to his hometown of Nazareth. And the Bible tells us he, he went there, he, he grew up there. He knew everybody there. He knew the banker there. He knew the, the other folks who worked in the, in the different shops and the, and the occupations of the day. Since he was a little child, he went to that synagogue and he went into Nazareth and he sat there and they gave him the book to read. And he read out of Isaiah chapter 61. It was a prophecy of him. He said, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to to help the brokenhearted, to release those who are bound by sin and Satan and addictions and let them go free, to help those who are bruised and those who are blind, to let them see spiritual truths and, uh, and then to preach the, the, the coming day of the Lord. 
and that God is coming back. And when he comes back, he'll evaluate sin. He'll evaluate sinners. He'll evaluate saints. He's going to come back for judgment. Well, of course, whenever he finished reading that, he just sat down, gave the book back to the fellow there in the room, and he went and sat down, and everybody just looked at him. And he said, today, that prophecy is fulfilled in you, in your eyes. You're looking at me. I'm the Messiah. Well, you would think everybody would say, wow, that's wonderful. Not in his hometown. Matter of fact, they got so angry with him that as a mob, they begin to take him and take him over to a cliff with every intention to throw him off the cliff and kill him because he made himself the Messiah. Now, if you, if you weren't the Messiah and you made yourself the Messiah, that might be a good idea. But he was the Messiah. And yet they would not accept him. And he says in John chapter 1, he came into his own, and his own received him not. He came to his own, and he told them, he said, now, a prophet is without honor in his own country. He said, I don't think you're going to accept this. And he told them an illustration. He said, you know, there were many people who were widows in the time of Elijah, when for three years it didn't rain, and there was a great famine. And lots of widows were there. But they didn't recognize God enough to ask him to care for their needs. But one little widow, God sent Elijah to her house, knowing that she would uh, believe and receive the blessing. There were many lepers in the time of Elisha who had leprosy. And they were in Israel, and they knew the God of heaven. But they didn't trust the God of heaven to heal them. But a man from Syria came over, and he trusted the God of the Bible. And asked him to heal him, and God healed him. He said, I'm, you're looking at your Messiah, but you don't want me. And that was true. And they took him, and they tried to kill him. But the Bible tells us that he escaped out of their hands. They said, well, show us a miracle. Well, the miracle was that they were trying to kill him, and they couldn't find him. <laughs> they had him in their hands, and he, skipped, he got away. Look at verse number 30, would you please? And that can, kind of concludes that part of the story. And he passing through in the midst of them went his way. So he, he, he escaped them. And the Bible says in verse 31, And he came down from Nazareth to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. Just real quickly, let me give you a little bit of a geography here. Israel is, is a, if you were to put a, 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 a rectangle going this way, Israel has a, a northern part, which is Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is there. It's 13 miles long. It's eight miles wide. And it's a, it's a place where the top part of that is where Jesus would live in his early years in Nazareth, one of those villages. Down in the southern part is the, is the Sea of Galilee. And then it's the Jordan River that comes out of the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, which is by Jerusalem. Well, down there is Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. That's where they would worship. That's where three times a year Jesus would go down and as every man was required to do, and they would honor the Lord at the Feast of the Tabernacles and the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of the Passover. They would come down. But there was about 90 miles between them. It would be about the distance from here to, to uh, maybe a little farther than Rensselaer if you were going south from here or maybe closer to Lafayette. So it was a long way, and of course they didn't get in their automobiles. They would walk or make a pilgrimage there. In between... Galilee and Judea, which is where Jerusalem is, was Samaria. And, uh, but they would make that trip. But Jesus was raised in that northern part. 
And it was, it was God's plan that he tell the world who he was primarily in that region. There were 240 little towns and villages around the Sea of Galilee in that northern region. That was where Peter, James, and John, they had fished and they caught hundreds and thousands since they were little kids, fish from the Sea of Galilee. They were from that area right there. And so the Bible tells us that he was in Nazareth, so he went about 16 miles, went over to Capernaum. Capernaum was closer to the water, and it was a place where there was a, a, it was kind of a hodgepodge of northern Galileans in that city. He went down to Capernaum, and it was the Sabbath day, a Saturday, and there he went, and he went to the synagogue. By the way, you, if Jesus went to church, do you think you and I ought to go to church? If God gave his blood for the church, you think you ought to build your life around the church? Yeah, I think you should. I think you'll be glad you did. And there's an old preacher named Lee Robertson. And we have services here Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek service. And I know that everybody cannot come, sometimes distance, sometimes obligation, sometimes illness. But if you can come, I hope you'll come at every service you can. Because faith cometh by hearing. So, Pastor, I'll just stay home and listen to it on CD, or I'll watch online. And you can, and God will speak to you, but he'll never speak to you quite the same way he does as he does inside a room where you get to hear God's word. There's something about that, and I just encourage you to be faithful to that. But Jesus, he attended the synagogue. Let's look at verse number 32, can we please? And the Bible says, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with what? Power. So we find that whenever he spoke to them, they were amazed. They had heard the scribes and the Pharisees. They'd heard teachers come. But it was very common when someone was visiting a synagogue, and Apostle Paul capitalized on this many times in his ministry because he would go to a synagogue, and if he was a visitor, they would ask him a few questions. Where are you from, and who do you know, and what happened? And, and could you, you want to speak for us today? You want to have a, you want to have a little bit of a testimony? And so they gave to Jesus, and Jesus got, a chance, Jesus got a chance to speak in those synagogues of Capernaum. And when he was there, when he spoke, people took back and said, whoa, it's like he really knows God. He really knows the words. You know, he didn't know the words. He wrote them. <laughs> he was the word. And he spoke with great power, and it really, it really brought about a, a lot of attention and a, and a lot of credence to him. They were amazed at the authority in which he spoke. Let's continue on. By the way, uh, it was because he was submitted to the Holy Spirit of God. He was filled with God's Spirit. And by the way, if you're filled with God's Spirit, you'll find an extra boldness as well. You'll have much more power to overcome sin when you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Many of us who want to stop bad habits. Let me tell you a fast track to stopping bad habits. Be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> Many of us want to be a good husband, good wife. Now, I think a marriage retreats are great, but the truth of the matter is one of the fast things you can do is be a spirit-filled dad, be a spirit-filled husband, be a spirit-filled wife, be a spirit, say, Lord, please fill me with your spirit. Jesus filled the spirit, and a lot of things happened good. Now, it did get the Satan's attention. Let's look at the next verse. Can we please? Verse 33. And in the synagogues, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil. By the way, any satanic devil is unclean. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Once again, they called him by his earthly name, disrespectfully so. Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. 
And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirit, and they come out of him. It's interesting here. Do you know where did this event take place? Did it take place in the marketplace, on a ball field, at, a, at, a mar- at the workplace? Where did it take place at? Synagogue. A place that was, that was there for the worship and learning of God's word. Do you think that Satan ever shows up in this room? Think he ever shows up here in demonic forms? Without a doubt, he does. Without a doubt, he comes in this room and he comes in any place. Because with new levels come new devils. And of course, Jesus is now starting his earthly ministry. And you're going to see he gets whacked. This is not the first time. He is going to be approached by satanic opposition. He'll be approached by, by, uh, by pharisaical religious leaders of the right. He'll be rejected by his own family, especially early in the ministry. And may I just remind you, Satan is a master of infant fatality. When things are small, he's going to attack the hardest. He's going to try to stop them. And he certainly does here. I mean, just, just a few days after he's baptized, and, and he hasn't even picked his disciples yet. He gets up and is asked to, to share a few words in Capernaum, and then a demon-possessed man in the middle of his church service, begins to challenge him with a demonic voice. And he begins to say with a loud voice, not something very quiet or calm, but loud and disruptive, disrespectfully not saying his name, Jesus Christ or Messiah, calling him Jesus of Nazareth. What are you doing? You're coming to judge us? And then he says, we know that you are the Holy One. And here, of course, this, this person stands up in the middle of the synagogue. Here they just read the scriptures. He just spoken the truth, and now a demonic activity begins to take place. And dear friends, I don't like to, I will not ever want to, sen- to sensationalize demonic activity. I'm not interested in messing around with that. I have, and I don't like it. But I'm telling you, I don't think I'd be afraid about it, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I think a guy's an idiot to go look for it. But any time you begin to serve the Lord, you can expect satanic opposition. You can expect Satan begin to work against you. And we find this with Jesus. With a new level came new devils. But I love the fact here that, that the fact that, uh, that Jesus removed the demon from the man. And the man was not harmed. Sometimes demons will try to hurt someone, and certainly demonic-filled people would be not uncommon for them to hurt themselves, throw themselves in the fire, hurt themselves, cut themselves, wound themselves. This is something we see all through uh, the Bible and in this world today. God made the human body. Satan hates the human body. He wants to get people to scar it, to mark it, to abuse it, to use it, anything to hasten the death and the destruction of a human body. That's why you ought to be very careful what you do. Your body, the Bible tells, especially the Christian, it's not your own. It belongs to him. Before you try to do something else with your body, put something else on or in your body, you ought to ask the Lord, this is your body. What would you like to have that? 
The devil loves to make permanent damage done in the, on, the, on the human body and cause it. But the Bible says that this demon left him and he, he wasn't harmed. This man wasn't hurt. It was a more pleasant exit of the demon. But I want you to know something else. Jesus told the demon, he rebuked him and said, stop it, shut up. That's in the Greek. <laughs> uh, he said, knock it off. Here, Satan, is, it, through that demon, was trying to bring about knowledge of Jesus being the Messiah. Some people say, well, that's not bad. That's good. He told, that's who he is. He's just doing that. Let me just tell you something. God is a God of timing. One of God's favorite ways to work in our life is delay. He's a God of process. Satan wants you to have something before it's time to have it. Was Jesus the Messiah? Yes. Was it time for him to be announced as the Messiah? No. Satan rushed it. You'll see it in the, in the next part of this verse. We'll probably read it this morning. He did the same thing. He wants to rush things. By the way, if you're not married, you're supposed to be pure. You're not supposed to, to be in bed with someone who is not your spouse. Satan wants you to rush it. Have it now. Can I just remind you, the first day of sin is always the best day of sin. Sin is like this. It's easy to begin and it's very hard to stop. Doing the right thing is the hardest time to do it is early on. You want to you do the right thing? Your hardest day is your first day. As you keep going, it brings a lot of blessings. Satan always wants to rush the washing machine. He wants you to keep, not wait, not wait. Get whatever you want now. Do whatever you can do now. I mean, now why should you wait? God told us a hundred times in the Bible, they tell me. I didn't count them all, but someone told me this, and they may be wrong, so I don't even know. But wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Some of you are waiting. You're tired of waiting. And you're being tempted, not by God, but by Satan. God would not tempt you to do that to speed up things. These demons said, hey, you're the son of God. You're the holy one. We know. And Jesus said, hush. It's not time for that. You know it. Come out of him. Let's look what happens next, if we can, please, in the life of Jesus. Verse 37, the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. This, this information spread to other people that God was God's spirit was on him, and even the demons were subject to him. Demons that would cause other people fear, he controlled them. Verse number 38, And he rose out of the synagogue, and he entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they, and they besought him for her. Simon Peter, of course, is one of the more uh, popular disciples. If you don't know all 12 disciples, you know Simon Peter. Peter was someone. And, of course, this would, this would combat the fact that Peter was the first pope and that he was celibate because he had a mother-in-law. Poor guy. I'm just joking. That's not true. That's not a thing. That's good to have a mother-in-law because if you don't have a mother-in-law, you don't have a wife. <laughs> so that's good. He had a wife. He was married. And he went over to Peter's house in Capernaum and there, he was no doubt, uh, he'd already been to church on that Sabbath day. He'd already had a very difficult altercation with a demonic activity. He had no doubt had people saying, wow, it's amazing. And Peter says, uh, would you come into my house? Eat, eat a meal with me. But his mother-in-law his mother was sick with a bad fever. 
And they said, Jesus, would you, would you come and look, take a look at my mother-in-law? She's really sick. And she's usually pretty busy helping everybody, but she's really down bad. She has a very severe fever. They besought Jesus, look, if you would please at the next verse, the Bible says in verse 39, and he stood over her and rebuked her fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. A beautiful story here. Jesus just stood over, rebuked the fever, and she was healed, and right away, she didn't waste time, she went out and got, got busy helping people. I don't know, I think I'd love to stop right now and just take time to talk to you and ask you to tell me, what do you think God's trying to tell us in this passage of Scripture? There's a lot of wonderful things. First of all, aren't you glad that we have a God who can heal? And when you're a child of God, no matter what happens, you're always healed. Sometimes God chooses to heal you in this side of eternity, and sometimes he lets you get healed in the presence of the Lord. We heard about five people today who have funeral announcements. And precious in the sight of the Lord, the death of his saints. So to God, he's glad to say hello to a Christian. To us, we have to figure it out a little bit. We will miss them from an earthly standpoint. But God chose to heal Peter's mother-in-law, and she was healed, and she ministered. We see the power of the Lord to heal and help us. I want you to notice the next thing real quickly, and we'll read the rest of the chapter, and we'll conclude. Now, when the sun was setting, all they that were in any sick and divers diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now, remember, this is a Jewish setting. And their, their Sabbath day started on, on sundown on Friday night and ended on Saturday at sundown. And be, they weren't allowed to travel, to go. They went to church and, that, and went home, and that was it. But when the sundown came, people heard that Jesus was over by Peter's. And they began to get their sick. Mamas had babies that were sick. People who were crippled, people who maybe had cancer, and people who had other maladies. They began to go, and they began to no doubt bang on Peter's door and say, hey, is Jesus here? Jesus here? They, they assembled there, and, and the Bible said he stepped out, and he put his hand on each of them and healed them all on that evening. It's a beautiful thing. Aren't you glad for the touch of the Lord upon our hearts and lives? I'm so glad. Aren't you glad that he responded? He didn't say, look, it's been a long day. I've been teaching all day. We had the demon guy there, and been taking care of Peter's half. Look. Come on, it's six o'clock at night. Let a guy get some rest. That's not what Jesus did, did he? He came out and ministered after hours and loved the hurting people that were present. Let's look at the rest of the chapter and we'll conclude. The Bible says in 41, and devils also came out of many. Demon-possessed people came, crying out, saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God, once again, pushing the envelope of timing. And he, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak. He told them, no, no, it's not that, you're not going to say that. For they knew that he was Christ. By the way, if demons know that Jesus is the Christ, I wonder why Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that. Why the Mormons don't believe that. I'm not trying to be unkind. But even the demons figured it out. They knew who he was. And Do you know who he is? He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the only way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says even the demons believe, but they tremble. They don't accept him. And there are some folks, they'll go to hell over the distance from what they know here and what they believe here. Demons believe that. Then the last thing he says here in verse number 42, and it was a day, so he went to rest that night, and when it was the next day, he went into a desert place. 
And the people sought him and came into him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. So he tried to get away from the masses and went to a solitary place, but they found him. And they beseeched him, don't leave us, stay in Capernaum. Verse 43, read it with me. And he said unto them, I must preach the... For therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. Just a quick thought as we exit this, this chapter. Is that Jesus was proactive. And you know what you should be? Proactive. You know, God is, loves Hammond, Indiana. He loves this northwest, west Indiana, Chicagoland region. But he loves the whole world. And one thing every church ought to be and every Christian ought to be is concerned not only for our local area, but for our global area. He said, no, because they want us to stay. Sometimes people, mamas and daddies want their kids to stay right around them. They don't want them to be called to the mission field. They don't want them to be called to do something else. They want to keep them and protect them and take sure, make sure they're all around them. Listen, friend, you only got so much time. Some folks say, well, I'm just going to stay right here. And you maybe need to stay right here in the will of God. But some of you, God is going to call you to go to places, to the next town, to the next city, to the next place in the will of God, and you can be thankful that God does that because that's why he was sent, not to stay in one location because the gospel's not good in just one location. It needs to spread. 